Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy the story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. I'm delighted to be speaking today with Tracy Hopapa. Tracy is an award-winning company director and a recognised industry leader. She's a trusted advisor to Māori, government, public and private sector entities on strategic and economic development, and is known for her strong and inclusive leadership and her clear focus on building the wealth and prosperity of Aotearoa New Zealand. She's a chartered fellow of the New Zealand Institute of Directors and is currently chair on a number of organisations, including the Federation of Māori Authorities, Te Arawa Group Holdings, and the National Advisory Council on the Employment of Women. She's also a director on several boards, including New Zealand Trade and Enterprise, the Treasury, Predator Free 2050, and the Chiefs Rugby Club. Tracy has won many accolades in her career, and there's too many to list them all here, but some highlights include winning the Westpac Women of Influence Board and Management Award, and also being awarded the Massey University Distinguished Alumni Service Award for services to New Zealand agribusiness in Māori. Tracy has also been named amongst the BBC's 100 Most Influential Women in the World. Tracy has an MBA from Massey University and is a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit. She's also a Justice of the Peace and a marriage celebrant. I can't wait to hear more about her career journey today. Tanakwe Tracy, and thank you very much for joining me. Tanakwe, The first question I wanted to ask, Tracy, is, is when you think back to when you were a child or even a teenager, what sort of thoughts or aspirations did you have for your career? Um, you know, we were brought up in a farm as a farming family, rural New Zealand in the King Country, and we were from a very young age given jobs to do. And so I have a distinct recollection of wanting to do my job well. Um, whatever job that might be, whether that's um, feeding the lambs or helping feed out hay or whatever, I can distinctly remember as a child wanting to do my job well and to make sure that I was able to help my sister and my brothers as well. And I think, you know, work ethic and behaviour is set in those early years and I thank my mother and father for helping, you know, helping guide and grow me uh, to who I am today. Mm, interesting. You're, you're right. With three kids myself, I can certainly see the impact I might be having on them and their work ethic. In terms of, of your background, were you thinking then, as you, you said you grew up on a farm, were you thinking that you wanted to work in the broader world of farming or were you thinking, actually, you know, I want to go and have a go at something totally different? You, you know, I wanted to be three things. I wanted to be a beekeeper. I wanted to be the Prime Minister of New Zealand or I would like to be a lighthouse keeper. And I can always remember as a child and even through college thinking those three things might be quite a lot of fun. And I think a series of 
unexpected consequences and events put me into the various roles that I hold now. So there was, I went to Taimarinui High School and our guidance counsellor, as they were called then, and it was a guy called Pete Wikaira. And Pete uh, had a large bearing on who I am and what I'm doing. When I talked to him about, you know, what were jobs or what were things that we or you know, you could do post-college or high school and as an emerging, you know, young adult in the workforce. Pete really encouraged me to get as much experience and live life as broadly and as adventurously as I possibly could. Uh, and he said at some stage uh, during that journey, you'll land on your sense of purpose. And I really didn't know what on earth Pete was talking about, but he, he said to me, you'll get there, Trace, you'll get there. And I think the combination of lived and learned experience and the roles that I hold as a professional director, you know, company chair um, now, mean that I'm able to draw on that fast experience, fast those fast encounters And I often think of Pete when I'm taking on a new challenge or picking up a new role. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I read that that variety of roles and experiences involved being a tour guide on the Whanganui River, a social worker, possibly also working in a sharing gang, as well as setting up kohangareo centres. Did I read that correctly? Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, a number of different roles Um, in quite different areas for quite different reasons. And uh, that all, you know, in each area, Anna, there was a business owner or a leader or a um, tribal elder, queer, kaumatua, kroa, who had an influence in who I am and how I was doing things. And were really generous, Anna, with their time and their knowledge and patience you know, and, and teaching me and guiding me. And I, it wasn't until many years later that I really understood what Pete was talking about in terms of, you know, getting broad experience and having a lot of uh, adventures, if you like, on the journey because those life experiences lived and learned really do come to the fore when you have challenges, you know, like we're going through right now in terms of COVID or business sustainability or job security for our teams and, you know, businesses and families. So all all experiences are so important. And there was another woman, her name was Annie Henry, and she was a queer from the Wamanui um, Waimarino area. And she always talked about every experience is another string to your bow. And for all of us uh, who grew up with the Annie Henry era, uh, we'll be smiling about how she really has had that influence on us. Mm, I like that. Every experience is another string to your bow. And and that's so true that so often you can point, even if you maybe didn't necessarily enjoy the roles or they weren't what you wanted to (laughs) for the rest of your life, that actually you still can take something out of it or take lessons in terms of the, the leaders and the people that you saw around you as well. And then, Tracy, more recently, your career has been very much in the in the realm of governance. What was the journey to to starting to become a professional director? It, it started when I was very small. My father and 
mother took the four Hopapa kids to land meetings. And that was at the time where Māori trusts and corporations or Māori freehold land blocks were being returned from government management to Māori ownership and management. And so we spent most weekends, it felt like, in a car travelling the country going to these hui. And I didn't realise then that... I had no idea of what leadership or governance was. But you kind of grew up in that environment, Anna, and so it was in many ways, I think, preset or ordained that at least one of us would become involved uh, with Ahu Whenua in governance and leadership, and it turns out it was me. It wasn't until I was, after my father passed away, and I was about 20, 21, that I really started thinking more about roles and responsibilities in terms of our family and family assets and interests. And I was appointed, my first, very first role, uh, government's role, was being appointed to Te Uranga B2 Incorporation. So that's a land trust in Taimarinui. And um, I served on that uh, board and committee for many years with, with my family, my mom and cousins and so forth. So learning with your shareholder base who are also your family and in some ways your harshest and most probable uh, critics was both edifying, uplifting and terrifying. I can imagine. I can imagine. I think it's it's a good way to put it, but edifying and terrifying at the same time. Yeah. Um, and what is it then that you that you love about being a, a board director? I like the challenge of working with others at a strategic level to gather the hopes, dreams and aspirations of a shareholder and convey that in the form of a plan or a work program, no resources, budgets, bits and pieces, and see that plan and those aspirations be realised through an executive management and or a team. And more so in the area of Ahufenua and Māori land holdings and interests. And equally as so, increasingly, as you know, the social licence to operate uh, circular economy and real people-centred economic focus is coming to the fore for New Zealand governing boards and companies and organisations. So I like seeing a concept come through that ecosystem to a real and tangible result point. Mm. Mm, mm. And, and it strikes me that that, that often enough a, a more Māori approach to governance, which takes a much longer term view, actually can be a really mm. valuable voice at the table. Absolutely. And I think, you know, going back to my role on the committee with Te Uranga, uh, that was established 100, 110, maybe 115 years ago now. Anna Bayaukuroa and Kuya, who knew then if we didn't aggregate land, that we might lose our land and therefore our asset base and therefore, uh, my words not theirs, our economic potential for our whānau and hapu. And so, you know, they made a decision over 100 years ago that you and I are talking about now, which I think is real leadership and is kind of cool. And in 100 years' time, it would be nice to think that people might also reflect back on a milestone like this. 
Mm, absolutely, that just sense of somehow the place in history and the place in the future as well. It's a, it's a lovely long-term perspective. I'm conscious that particularly, well, I'm guessing, I'm, I'm not sure, but I'm guessing that on a number of boards, you may well have been the only woman, sometimes the only person who is also Māori. How, how have you found that experience? Uh, oftentimes, especially in my early professional director career that's exactly who and what I was Mm. Uh, and I was mindful that others around the table may well have dismissed me as simply a uh, convenient governance tick Mm. or reporting point and I was really clear that my role and responsibility was bigger and broader than that and that I had experience that could and would add value to the strategic and commercial direction of any of the entities that I was involved with. I was really clear too, Anna, that in order to perform, I needed to be well briefed uh, and well engaged uh, and so made an effort and still do to make sure that I understood the business, you know, drivers and, you know, the, the purpose and the intention of the organisations and entities I'm involved with. I think now more than ever, the idea of diversity, whether that's gender, ethnicity, experience, age, fill in the gaps, is so important uh, when there is a higher level of accountability and transparency expected quite rightly by shareholders, community and the public on how boards fulfil and dismiss their obligations as governors of considerable assets and interests. And that's uh, a challenge and it is a motivating factor and you want to make sure that you deliver on that. I'm less tolerant of people who simply sit at the board table. I am more interested in people who want to serve And I remember years and years ago, um, a chap called Jim Gray, who used to do governance and train, uh, governance and trustee training and so forth, mainly in the Māori sector, but generally as well, always used to say that a good governor or a good director might treat his or her entity, you know, the entity, as a person that required a high level of care and attention, and I'm always mindful of that. He personified the company so that we got our role and our responsibilities most clearly, which I thought was quite clever. Mm, A really nice way to put it. Equally, in you telling some of the way you approach your your governance work, it it reminded me of you then talking about yourself as a child and and a job well done, you know, that that actually when you're working on the farm versus actually even now in the governance, if you're going to take on a role, it is to do it well, prepare well and to serve at the table. Mm. In terms of your career and as you look back, what have been some of the the toughest moments or the the biggest challenges that you faced? That's a magnificent question. I think two two ways to answer that for me, and I think uh, some of the toughest uh, issues to confront has been my, especially in my early career, my own confidence and my own skills and ability. 
and to recognize that I have been or was appointed because someone somewhere saw value uh, or that I might add value and uh, being part of a, a board or a table or a leadership group. So there was that. And I think, especially for women, the sooner we get um, that monkey off our backs, the sooner we can soar and fly. And the people that I coach and mentor, whether that's the, they're men or women, I encourage them to have that conversation with themselves fairly early and in a fairly short order. I think the other thing uh, that I have, I, I continue to, to find challenging is the, the quiet undercurrent of chauvinism or racism or bigotry uh, that can rear its head from time to time in any boardroom or any organisational entity. And it's more to the fore now as we navigate our way through the difficult and necessary conversation that is being had around Black Lives Matter. And in the context of Aotearoa New Zealand, do you know we've had over um, recent years with Taika Waititi and others saying racism's not okay and how do we deal with that? And it, it feels to me that regardless of whether you're chairing a board or you're a director or whatever role you're playing, uh, you sit or serve in, um, it's incumbent upon all of us uh, to decide what good looks like and to decide what a good, you know, how I'm going to be as a good citizen in New Zealand and Aotearoa and how I might engage with my fellow um, brothers and sisters and citizens and be part of this great community that we're living in. And so I, that's a continual challenge that I'm up for and a conversation that I'm up for. And I think that more and more boards are open to how we respond to those that kind of pressure within organisations and how we deliver on those areas to ensure that we maintain confidence and trust from the shareholder and social licence to operate. Mm. And it's really interesting hearing you talk about those internal challenges, which many people face, and in my experience, particularly women face around actually building up confidence over time, but also some mm. still of the less than desirable aspects, whether it is, as you say, chauvinism, racism. How, if you've ever felt that, how have you dealt with it? I still experience that, Anna, mm. and I deal with it in the same way that I've seen others deal with it by naming the behaviour and by calling that and then by recognising that we all have important roles to play, uh, whether that's in governance or leadership across boards, organisations or otherwise. I'm also mindful too that if I'm the chair and if I'm a leader, then I work hard to ensure that there is a safe environmental context so that everyone might bring their full selves to the table uh, in terms of engagement or involvement. And that means that people are able to call or question a conversation or behaviour at that time in their table. Mm-hmm. And so that also means that it, it, it's in many ways a high trust and sometimes those are conversations that need to be had off table. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I have a, a little boy, he's three and a half, 
and um, we went through the health system with him being misdiagnosed and with a breathing respiratory issue and he was diagnosed with a certain breathing issue, asthma or otherwise. And when I challenged it because I thought they were being dismissive of the health, the health status and his history, they said, one of the practitioners said, you're Māori and so this is what you people get. So we had a wee chat about how all New Zealanders are able to enjoy the same level of health care uh, and that we might start the conversation again. You can appreciate it was fairly short, mm. uh, fairly discussion. That's, that's still happening mm. across the board. And, you know, even um, with a situation more recently, as in two or three weeks ago, Anna, where an organisation that I'm leading has applied for funding and has been turned down because um, Māori get too much money anyway because of the treaty. And then um, uh, being discussed or decided that it would be better that a man lead those conversations to negotiate funding. Mm. And you, you still, so it doesn't stop. We're not there yet. Getting 50% of women on boards is a starting point, but there is a deep, you know, deep cultural, cultural norms that we still need to work through, you know. Mm. And so if if people are saying we're there or we've got this or we, we're meeting quota or target or our milestones, every single one of us, and you will have similar stories, do you know, and similar experiences, I'm sure. So it really is about standing in your place on behalf of your children if necessary, all those people who can't speak for themselves. And as a chair at a table, I always work hard to make sure that everyone has voice around the table, even those people who might need more time uh, to consider or formulate a response to a discussion or a paper or an agenda writer, um, because it's so important. And I think it really just comes down to being your best, you know, doing the job well, looking after one another, uh, especially those in your immediate sphere of influence. Mm. And I think that the piece around you know, having absolutely diversity on a board is so vital but it needs chairs to make sure that actually that environment is inclusive. So actually that those voices are heard and valued and listened to, respected and, and incorporated along the way. Now, thank you for mm. sharing those stories, Tracy. To turn it around the other way, I would love to hear from you. What are some of your proudest career moments? Oh, there are equally many. One of them was coaching a young woman a college student from Porirua College who was and is the first in her family to gain a tertiary qualification and to go through college while looking after her and supporting her mum and dad who worked and looking after her brothers and sisters. That for me is a huge win, Anna. Mm. Being able to mentor and coach and support because somebody did that for me at one time in my life. And also making room in conversations and tables for others, whether they're women or men, is satisfying and encouraging for me. 
I think the other thing that I'm mindful of too is, and that I've, I've loved doing is we hold through FOMA, as the chair of FOMA, we have held for the last oh, eight or nine years now Hui Huinga Wahine, which is bringing together Māori women leaders from across the country for a one-day summit. And we have uh, women from all over the country uh, coming to us and speakers. And each of the speakers, Anna, gets 30 minutes to speak and they can talk about whatever they want. And people have said it's, it's some, you know, quite challenging because what is the theme of this event? And it is about uh, mana wahine, uh, acknowledgement and the empowerment of women, Māori women. And I've loved seeing those people come through that, through that conference, through that summit, and are over the years growing from where they were and where they're up to now. And you know, taking that staircase approach with other Māori women and other women uh, in New Zealand. So, just a couple of quick insights there. Mm, and both lovely stories. One of obviously a very personal one, but one a much broader one, and showing actually how you can use some of the influence that you have now and to to bring very many women women through. Wonderful. And Tracy, I'm really conscious that you have a. I was looking at the, your list of directorships and thinking that's mm-hmm. a that's a busy old um, busy old life you lead. Um, how do you find some kind of balance between your work and and your broader life? Mm-hmm. I believe that good life's a simple life, and so in many ways, we, my little family, um, live a very simple, simple life, and that's important. I have every morning. I, I wake early, Anna, and I meditate. I pray. I do my exercise. You know, keep fit, and I think that provides me with an anchor for my day. Mm. And I think the one of the gifts of COVID is that people realise now that you can still operate, you know, that hybrid of online and face-to-face meetings, so there's that. I think, you know, a few years ago I was at Stanford University and on a programme and we had the opportunity to meet with Professor Condoleezza Rice and mm-hmm. she talked about pulling together your truth-tellers, just a small group of trusted uh, friends or advisors who would be with you 24-7, no matter what, uh, and have you back. And so I think that every person, every woman needs a, a small group of truth-tellers. I've got mine. Uh, they cycle in and out depending on where I'm up to and what I'm doing, uh, the challenges and the opportunities I'm working through. And that group of people keep me grounded and focused, and they're the people, Anna, who will give me a call and say, Tracy, you're looking a little tired. Mm-hmm. or have you thought about or how about or could you or should you? And they are objective, fair, and they have my best interests at heart. So I think being able to balance that out, I'm also in the fortunate position, Anna, of being able to um, do what I what I love. So it, it's not hard in that regard. I think the other thing that more women are starting to realise that especially for those of us who are decidedly single, that we do need support. For me, have a nanny and a property person and you know other people who help me so that I can do what I do best, which is being a director and, and chairing stuff. Mm. Gina, it's interesting you say that. I remember years ago I got some advice from, it was the HR director at the firm I worked at, so I had you know hundreds of staff that were there. 
And she said her most important employee within all of it was her nanny because that meant that actually she knew that her child was well looked after and that she could come to work and enjoy it and do her best. So being okay to have that support network around you, I think is is really vital. But I also really like that idea of truth tellers, those people who will call it like it is, but you know that they've got your best interests at heart as well. Yeah, I think so. I think they're so important, you know, and I think, you know, it's, it's stuff of myth and legends that as women, we think we have to do everything and be everything to everyone uh, and think about ourselves last. Um, a good friend of mine subscribes to the Air New Zealand approach, which is put on your own life jacket first. Mm. And I think that's so important for us. Mm-mm, it is, because otherwise, how else are we going to hold up everything else that we've got going on? Yeah. And as you look forward now to your career in the years to come, where do you see your career heading? I think, or I know, that I will continue to advise and lead at that, you know, change point for Māori economic development and usher in this new era or new era of Aotearoa NZ Inc. I think that's something that is emerging, increasingly emerging as an opportunity and a direction uh, that I'm heading in. I uh, will continue to mentor and coach those people who, for whom we have an affinity with each other and an alignment uh, of mind and spirit. I'll continue to do that. And I think as well, there is more and more conversation quite properly and at the right time, around a greater connection between Indigenous First Nations and Māori around the Pacific Rim and across the world in terms of economic development, in terms of acknowledgement and empowerment. And that's an ex- a very exciting place then to be in right now. Mm, absolutely, I can imagine. Well, I look forward to seeing seeing where it, where it does take you and seeing where it goes. And you've already given some wonderful advice for for other women. I wondered if you had any other career advice for, for women that you'd like to share. I think in the early stages, I go back to what uh, Pete Ricardo and Annie Henry told me, to have broad experience, uh, to add as many strings to your bow as you possibly can and also to consider uh, what's good for people and to put uh, them at the centre of decisions in terms of career and your own professional and personal development. I think, you know, what we knew about the world pre-COVID and what we know now mean that the type of leadership, the type of, you know, roles and responsibilities, the future of work, if you like, Anna, has completely changed. And so the, you know, the soft stuff, which is hard Mm. around how do we make decisions for the good of people and communities and countries is really going to come to the fore. And my sense is that we are going to need more people who are ecosystem engineers, if you like, who can bring together people uh, and partners in collaborative forms to achieve better outcomes when we're thinking about environment, economic development, culture, social development. I think that's really where we're heading and what we're doing. And a conversation that I had this morning with a chap called Joel was really around how does he 
repackage, represent, refile, and then go forward with his learned and lived experience to ensure that he can connect and be part of that ecosystem development, which is really important. I think, too, we're being challenged now to think more and more around how we relate to our world and our environment. And I strongly suspect that we will need more people who are more highly attuned to our impact on the world uh, and the people around us. So those are the areas that I'd certainly um, be encouraging people to think or rethink their involvement in. Mm, and it's really interesting, you know, if you think about in the in, in the perhaps past 50, 100 years, the economic drivers have been so strong. And as you say, perhaps the rebalancing more towards people, community, environment, and thinking how those skills, how you might develop those, those skills as you go through your career. Wonderful advice. Mm-hmm. Tracy, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to speak to you and to, to hear about your career. I'm personally pleased that you didn't decide to be a beekeeper or a lighthouse keeper and instead <laughs> took, a, took on uh, taking on some leadership roles for the betterment of, of Aotearoa. Thank you very much for your time today. Thanks, Anna. Good to talk. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon.